Our Old Testament reading this morning is from the 31st chapter of the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. Reading from verse 9, you see it printed there in your bulletin, and uh, if you have your Bible, that would be a better place to turn, or uh, your handheld device, or whatever it is you choose to read scripture from, uh, but you can read it from the bulletin as well. Deuteronomy 31, reading from verse 9. Then Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, at the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God, at the place that he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, and be careful to do all the words of this law. And that their children, who have not known it, may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, as long as you live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. And so far, the Old Testament reading. You can't sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. Unless you can sing, for the Bible tells me so. When Martin Luther discovered that, it changed not only him, but the world. Five years after he nailed his 95 theses to the door uh, of the church at Wittenberg, he, uh, he had to appear at the Diet of Worms before the Pope and the Emperor to defend his writings. And they called on him to recant his writings, and he asked for time to examine them all and to see if there was something he should recant of. And they gave him the time he spent it in prayer, looking over his books and writings. Finally, he stood before the emperor, the emperor, you know, the most powerful man uh, in the world at the time. And he declared to the emperor, unless I am convicted by scripture and plain reason, my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand, I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Short, very short history lesson. In the Middle Ages, the church drifted uh, from relying on uh, Scripture alone to inform its people of what they should believe and, uh, and how they should live. The Protestant Reformation didn't start out to be what it became. It, it was a, the result of a movement to return the church to relying on the scripture alone. Hence the first and foundational uh, Reformation slogan, Sola Scriptura, by the scriptures alone. The sole basis for Christian faith and 
practice is the truth. Both faith and practice derive from truth. You remember Jesus' prayer in the garden, recorded in John 17, when he prayed for the people who had come to follow him. And he prayed for all of us that would come to follow him through them. And he prayed for those then 11 men who were the, the seed of the church, if you will, the, the uh, nascent church gathered there by him. And he prayed to his father and said, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Which brings us then to our New Testament reading this morning from 2 Timothy chapter 3 and reading from verse 14. Paul writes to Timothy, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now let me just get off subject for a little while. Uh, when a preacher begins to prepare a sermon, there are certain questions he has to ask. And uh, he asks them of his text, he asks them of himself. And one of those questions is, why am I preaching this? And the obvious answer is, well, because it's Sunday and you get paid to do that. Uh, a more sanctified uh, reason is because God has called and gifted me to do this sacred work of expositing the word of God and, and expounding it to his people. But that's not what I mean when I say, you know, why are you doing this? What do you want to see happen when, when you get down out of the pulpit? What needs to take place among these people who are listening to God's word? And, and there, are, there are at least six major you know, purposes for preaching a sermon. You preach it evangelistically. Uh, you could preach it uh, an ethical sermon. You preach a devotional sermon. You preach a doctrinal sermon, an actual sermon, a supportive sermon. Now, there may be some others, but that pretty much covers the ground. And so the, you're sitting there and you're studying and you're locked away and saying, what in the world do I want them to do? And we usually don't share this with you. I'm giving you, giving away secrets. But, but then, so you decide, well, this is an actual assignment. I want you to do something. I want you to take action. But then there's, you've got to get more specific than that. What is my specific purpose? And I'll read to you what I, I wrote down as I was going through that process. This is what I want you to do when I'm done. My, my specific purpose is that they go home 
Take their Bible, read it, believe it, and do accordingly. That's it. And to that end, I have two points and a therefore. But first, let's pray. Come, thou incarnate word, and gird on thy mighty sword. Our prayer attend. Come and thy people bless, and give thy word success. Spirit of holiness on us descend. Amen. Well, point number one. Faith in Jesus comes by believing what the Bible says about him. And you know that you can believe, uh, you can believe about, uh, you can believe in. It's one thing to believe about the Bible. There's a lot of things you can believe about the Bible. It's another thing to believe it. That is to accept it as true in all its parts and all its teaching. It's, and, and that happens uh, by the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit within us as we come uh, to His Word. It's one thing to believe about Jesus. It's quite another thing to believe in Him. To, to accept what you know about Him from Scripture as absolute truth. But then to go beyond that to committing yourself and your entire eternity to him. To, to, to say with Peter, you know, when, when Jesus asked him, are you guys going to leave too? Everybody else is. Are you leaving? And Peter said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And that too is the sovereign work of the Spirit when we read scripture and when we act on it. And Paul goes on to point out that the people around you will either help or, or hinder you. They'll communicate fairly clearly their biblical or unbiblical or anti-biblical views. They'll also help or hinder by their lives, which are the outworking of those views. And so Paul wrote to Timothy a little bit earlier in this third chapter of his letter. Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. That's been true since the coming of Jesus into this world, since the incarnation we've been in the last days. And it will continue to be true until the last day when the Lord comes from glory and brings us there to be with Him. In the meantime, all of this is true, and people are like this. Paul says, avoid such people. That's still good counsel. And then a little bit later, he says, evil people and imposters will go on 
will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And then immediately his next word is, but, verse 14, but you continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You firmly embrace as true and honorable, according to George Knight. Knowing from whom you learned it. Knowing from whom you learned it. There's a word uh, uh, here for grandparents and for parents and for preachers and for everyone else. In verse chapter 1, verse 5, Paul wrote of the same letter he wrote to Timothy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And here he writes, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. That's where you learn those things. You've heard enough about my grandmother, I won't beat that to death. But while you've heard enough about her and her role in my life, I cannot say enough about her. I wouldn't be a Christian had it not been for my witnessing her faith and its working out in her life. Let me talk about somebody else, Brother Grandma Rossi. Uh, most people in this room know Curtis McGowan. And uh, Curtis is, and you know Curtis's dad and my relationship up until he went to uh, be with the Lord. We were best friends, uh, closest confessors to one another. We, we heard one another's confessions. We uh, counseled one another. We took vacations together. We were just best friends. Well, Taylor was, was about to finish seminary. And both of us were older than all the other students. But uh, uh, he was about to finish seminary, and he had a call to a church in Tennessee. <clears throat> and he was waiting, you know, whether or not to take it. So he called the man who had been there and had left, the former pastor. He asked him, tell me about the church. Tell me about the people. Tell me about the leadership. And so the guy did. And he was going down, you know, through the elders and giving the scoop on the elders. And... Uh, and there was just one guy, he mentioned his name, he said, and then there's Mr. Franklin Fulton. And there was silence. And he said, kind of, he went the heart around, he said, he said, I don't know what to tell you about Mr. Franklin. He said, the only thing I can think to say about him is that if you took Jesus Christ out of Franklin Fulton, there just wouldn't be much left. And I knew Mr. Franklin Fulton, and, and that was a good assessment of him. And I knew his children, and, and I knew the young people in that church, all of whom he affected, all of whom he pointed to Jesus simply by being what he was, sold out to Jesus, and he couldn't hide it. Well, anyway. But here's Paul's bottom line. The sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Why do we have a Bible? 
Why has God spoken to us? What's the purpose of the Bible? You know, when, you, when you read this thing from cover to cover, when you get to the last page, why? What does God want us to do when we finish reading his word? But to believe in his son, Jesus. That's the long and the short of the story. Remember Jesus and those disciples on the road to Emmaus after Jesus' resurrection and they're disconsolate because the Lord is risen and they don't know where he is when he's walking with them but they don't recognize him. He said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Prophets were writing in the Old Testament. That's the only Bible they had, Jesus said. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He's the subject matter of this book. And later, remember how he said to them, and they were all gathered together, and the disciples there, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, the, the entirety of the Old Testament, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. And he got all of that. That there would be a Christ, the Messiah, the Messiah, that he would suffer, that he would die, that he'd be raised again and that the gospel should go out to all the nations. And Jesus preached that Every bit from the Old Testament. All the scriptures, not just the New Testament, all the scriptures, Old Testament and New, point to Jesus and to salvation in Him. We call you and me to rest in Him, to trust in Him, and thus be reconciled to God from whom our sin has alienated us. Martin Luther said, if you want to interpret the Bible well and confidently, set Christ before you, for he is the man to whom it applies. Every bit of it. You sit down in the morning in your quiet time, you pick up your Bible, hold Christ in front of you. As you read, whatever you read, whether it's Genesis, whether it's a song, whether it's whatever, hold Christ there. Because that's what it's about. Or that's whom it's about. John Calvin, another figure in the, in the Reformation, said, The scriptures should be read, he's saying it's the same thing that Luther said, the scriptures should be read with the aim of finding Christ in them. Whoever turns aside from this object, will never reach the knowledge of the truth. Because the truth of Scripture is Jesus Christ. Incarnate, crucified, dead, 
buried, raised, ascended, our eternal hope. In other words, you can't say, Jesus loves me this I know, if you can't say, for the Bible tells me so. It's our source document. Second point, not as long. Living the Christian life comes by doing what the Bible says about it. Three things about it. It's come to you from God, this Bible. Paul says all scripture is breathed out by God. The long word for that is inspiration. We talk about it being inspired. The writers were inspired to write what they wrote. And we're not talking about that in the same way as we talk about Shakespeare being inspired or Faulkner being inspired when they wrote the two Williams. Yes, they were inspired writers, I think. They they were moved by things they saw, by things they experienced, by things they thought. But not in the same way as we were talking about the writers of the Bible. The Apostle Peter wrote, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's, It's a picture of throwing something up on your back and walking off with it. So the Spirit carried them along and they wrote. God used their personalities, He used their uh, experience, He used their background, He used where they were from, all of that. But then He guided their words by the Holy Spirit. Thus is God's Word written. Calvin said, The full authority which the Scriptures ought to possess with the faith was not recognized unless they believed to have come from heaven as directly as if God had been heard giving utterance to them. Luther said, The Holy Spirit Himself and God, the Creator of all things, is the author of this book. And again, he said, Let the man who would hear God speak read Holy Scripture. And all of it's from God, Old Testament and and New Testament. Paul there was talking about the Old Testament because that was mostly what they had. But they also had letters from Paul and they had letters from Peter and they had other, other letters in the New Testament. And Peter in his letter, in one of his letters writes, Our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. The other things Paul wrote, the other things the apostles wrote, and the friends of the apostles wrote, both Old Testament and New Testament, excuse me, is from God. And it's profitable. You know what profit is. If you buy ten widgets, and you pay a dollar a piece for those widgets, and then you turn around and you set up a stand and you sell those ten widgets for a dollar and a half a piece. That five dollars more you got at the end than you had at the beginning is profit. It's having more at the end than you did at the beginning. Just so, 
The Bible gives you more than you started with. It's, it's profitable, Paul says. It's profitable, profitable for teaching, that is, for, for doctrine. It tells you what's right. It's, it's profitable for reproof, to point out error, to, to tell you what's wrong. Now this morning's call to confession was taken from the 31st chapter of Deuteronomy. When Moses had finished writing the words of this law in a book to the very end, Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, take this book of the law and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God that it may be there for a witness against you. Well, that doesn't do much for my spirit. You know, <laughs> the Word of God is against me. But it doesn't stop there. It's also profitable, profitable for correction. That is, how to get right. Once you know what's wrong, how to get right. And it's profitable for training in righteousness or how to stay right. How to keep right. All to the end that the man or woman of God may be complete. Equipped for every good work. In other words, so that you and I might be up to the task of, of fulfilling our calling as Christians, whatever that calling may be. And so a summary. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Two points, summary, and a therefore. Therefore, go home. Open your Bible. Read it. Believe it. And then do accordingly.